All right, everybody, welcome to the 288th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I'm Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage kicking it live and direct at my mom's house. Going to celebrate my 31st birthday tomorrow with mama and uh, watch a bunch of college basketball. I'm pretty excited about that. Happy early birthday, friend. I know, I man. Can't, I can't believe I, I, I knew you. When, uh, when you were just turning 21 years old, like that oh. kind of blows my mind because yes. you used to give me crap for being old. And I was only 27 at the time. And I'm like, God damn, you're 30. Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, you're 31 now. I'll be 31. Like, yeah. In oh, 12 hours. That's incredible. What? I mean, I, I know your mom's got to have the desserts kick in. Like, I wh- think she's ordering like a, I, I realized that I'm allergic to nuts which really sucks, but so we're getting like a a cake with like, I think it's a like a chocolate cake with mint. I think there's a, a specialized name for it, but I forget what it's called. Love it. Yeah. I, I love mint and chocolate. Uh, mm-hmm. Olga kind of differs on it, but I'm like, no, give me the mint chocolate chip ice cream. Um, I, I love any ice cream sandwiches like that. Oddly enough, I'm not a big like junior mint or peppermint patty fan, but if it's like ice cream or cake form, I'm, I'm all I'm all in. One second, I can actually find the name. I remembered what the uh, it's called the Artisan Bakery Cafe in Medford, Oregon. It is the Grasshopper Cake. That's oh uh, yeah, I'm Grasshopper. Talking. That is a that is a. Um, it's either people will call it like Thin Mint in reference to the the Girl Scouts or Grasshopper or just like mint chip. So. Um, I am excited uh, for your taste buds tomorrow. Yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped, man. It's a, uh, yeah, it, we've been doing this show for damn near like seven years. So, you know, growing up doing the Holy Backboard every night or every week has been a, uh, an experience. And like, we've only missed like one week when uh, SoundCloud was down. So we've been pretty consistent throughout everything. We've only missed one week. And then took that break week, but like we've been doing the the right thing for 270 plus episodes is is pretty awesome. We're probably going to hit 300 before the the actual draft happens, and that's that's pretty impressive. Oh, absolutely, man! Like, yeah, we we've hit the big time of like it's important to to count the episodes properly because you don't want to do too many or too few, so. I'm very, very hyped about the 300th episode, but I'm also pretty damn excited about our first mock draft of the year. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't know if I've been more excited to do an episode. Since we have started the Holy Backward podcast, uh, only one time has Portland had the opportunity to have multiple first round picks. That was again in 2017, but neither of those three picks were projected to land in the lottery. So this is really the first time since 06 the Blazers could have two potential lottery picks. So it's been really, I think, um, interesting, but also exhilarating a bit to watch a lot of college basketball, study these prospects, uh, especially given that there hasn't been really a reason to watch NBA basketball uh, for our, our Blazers, as as we already know what what. Um, what the vision is for this season. So to have something to look forward to has been really helpful. Um, I've mentioned this before. It's been really almost cathartic to just kind of zone out and study the draft and see what prospects are going to fit where just a great 
release break really from, from the day-to-day grind of everything, you know, personally, um, and, and with, uh, external, um, everything going on out there as well. So I know everyone has their own way of kind of breaking free and this has kind of been it for, for me and you. So to actually, um, project a bit has been really fun because I, I one of the first things I do Sage, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, who, who has updated a mock draft? I just need to see, uh, what, what people think is going to happen. And I know it's silly. Like it's a mock draft. It's not even real, but there's something about it that I think people gravitate to when I worked for the trailblazers. And even if we just had one first round pick, I starting around March, I would do what's called like a mock draft roundup. And I would update that every single day. I would have a document and I think it lived on our, our website And I would, there's maybe 30 draft sites and I would update that thing every day. And that was one of the leading page hitters uh, across the website. And it was, uh, it just kind of spoke to like, people love the unknown. People love the draft. People love to see the the new player, the the new big thing that could be added to the roster. You know, everybody loves the new, the new person, the new player. Um, It's just exciting. You don't know what they can bring. It could be the next Damian Lillard. It could be the next Greg Oden. Like, there's it's you just don't know and i think that's really exhilarating so uh to be able to do this for the first time on the holy backboard uh is incredible and before we kick it off uh just uh we'll we'll kind of discuss our thought process with each pick but how we're actually con- uh, conducting this mock draft because it's going to be different than many you've you've read before so how this will work we're going to be doing these uh, once a month. So this is our first one. We'll do one in late April and we'll do one um, after the lottery has actually been set. But up until the lottery has been set, um, you had a really good idea to put our own holy backboard spin on the mock draft. So we are utilizing tankathon.com and they have the lottery standings as of March 23rd, 2022. And so how we're going to do it is we are going to sim this lottery until it gives Portland a top four pick and they keep the New Orleans pick. So it's not just going to be uh, every mock draft where you see that Portland's going to be picking at seven and then at, at 10. No, we could be picking at two and 12 or, or, or whatever. So Sage, we're going to let you um, sim this lottery and we'll figure out the draft order. And once we have it, we'll list it out and then we'll kind of go either or. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> Seriously, doesn't work. <laughs> um, there we go. We have we go. the we have the order. San so Antonio in, with a humongous jump. In our order, it goes as follows: the number one pick belongs to the San Antonio Spurs. Number two, Oklahoma City Thunder. Number three, the Orlando Magic. Number four, the Portland Trailblazers. Number five, the Houston Rockets. Number six, Detroit Pistons. Seven, Sacramento Kings. Eight, Indiana Pacers. Nine, New York Knicks. Ten, the Portland Trailblazers once again. Eleven, Washington Wizards. Twelve, the Memphis Grizzlies via the Los Angeles Lakers. Thirteen, the Atlanta Hawks. And fourteen, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Sage, would you like to kick us off and, and draft? Yeah, I'll let you have the Portland picks. All right. So uh, with with all due, go ahead with the number one pick. Who are you taking for the San Antonio Spurs and why? With Coach Popovich, 
a lot of the worry of scheming Chet Holmgren out so his the 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 red flags that he has are lessened. I mean, you have you have such a good roster around him. You got Jante, you got Devin, you got Lonnie Walker, you got Telton Johnson, you got Jakob Hurdle. Having Chet be that 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 Tim Duncan like player when they they rose seven picks. So I think the Spurs lucking out again, getting a potential transcendent defender with all of the the scheming that Pop can do to make sure that his rebounding isn't as a, a negative. I mean, the Spurs lucked out in this simulation. I think that they would go Chet over Jabari. But do you have any? Uh, do you think different, or uh, do you think Chet would be the guy? I think this is one scenario where Chet would make sense, just given the fact that Greg Popovich is a unicorn head coach, coaching a unicorn type player. I feel like he is probably the best coach mm-hmm. for for Chet to go into, uh, bring him along slowly, but also uh, give him the freedom to to really expand his game and uh, to to play with success. Like he's done it with Kawhi. He's done it with Tim Duncan. Uh, he knows how to coach uh, forwards and posts. So uh, I think this makes the most sense. They clearly need a, a four or five and we will be uh, taking team needs into consideration. So um, I could definitely see them taking Jabari Smith, but if Chet were to go number one, I think San Antonio probably makes the most sense just because you can play Chet along that front line. And they already are a pretty solid defensive minded team. Um, you have to be playing for uh, Coach Popovich, and it's it's a franchise that understands the vision. They understand the the long term um, outcomes of of their actions, and I don't think it's a team that feels pressured to win now. I mean, hell, they've won five NBA championships since 1999. Like, they, there's not a whole lot of pressure to get back to that point. So they can take their time. The fan base has been spoiled. It's not like they've been waiting 40 plus years for a title. They can really go at their own pace. And it's a franchise that has really set their own pace uh, since Greg Popovich took over. So, yeah, I I would probably agree with that pick. I mean, just think about the switchability defensively, man. You have you got uh, DeJounte, you got Devin, you've got you got uh, Chet like this. They are building something really really dangerous defensively like teams aren't getting 100 110 on this team very often with all of the things that they can do to defend basically any team i don't like that is a very very strong defensive team uh for the san antonio spurs lucking out with chet Holmgren, and they had a six percent chance at getting first which i mean good shit <laughs> all right with the number two pick in the draft the oklahoma city thunder are going to select jabari smith from auburn university uh i don't think any team is more happy to move up in the draft than the oklahoma city thunder they are a team that dropped last year it worked out in their favor they were able to take josh giddy but as a team projected to go fourth they would be missing out on one of those three forwards, which they desperately need. Uh, I, I think you always take best player available, but the Thunder would have to be feeling pretty down if they do end up at four because they have Giddy, they have Shea Gildas-Alexander, they have Lou Dort. 
they 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 are a team that kind of does need to pick for, for need, but in this instance, they're able to take the best player available who happens to feel fill that need. And as Jabari Smith, I think you plug and play him uh day one and he's able to fit in right there. And it, I think he also has a chance to to really grow with those guards. I mean, just think about where he's came from playing mm-hmm. with, you know, Katie Johnson and, and Wendell Green uh, going to Shea Gildas Alexander and Josh Giddy. Uh, I think that's got to be a godsend for him. And, you know, it, it's early, but it's starting to take shape of those Oklahoma city thunder teams, you know, a decade ago when they were drafting Durant Westbrook and Harden, like they're starting to utilize these picks and build really talented assets that fit well together. And that's the key. So I think this would be a no-brainer. They send this pick in immediately after San Antonio uh, heads to the podium. So after this draft pick for Oklahoma City, the one real need is that five for them, right? They've got the one, they got the two, they got the three. They have some bench help now. Really, if they wanted to compete, they would spend some major money in free agency and get that center. And they have cap space. Yeah. Plenty. So do you think that this would be the, if they got Jabari Smith, would this be kind of the end of the tankathon Oklahoma City uh, has been on for the last few years? It's hard to say because they are still such a young team and they really don't have a lot of veteran presence on that roster. So I think they will give it the old college try probably for half the season. You would hope that with a Giddy and a Jabari Smith and a Pokashevsky who who needs a lot of run, a Trey Mann, the, the first round pick from Florida last year as well, that they will continue to play. Uh, so I don't think they will have the the tankathon that they're doing right now. I don't think they're necessarily doing it right now. They're still playing Shea. They're still playing Giddy. Uh, they're just really not playing their vets in like Derek Favors, which I completely understand. I just don't think it's a roster ready to win. So. I don't think they're intentionally going to process it like the Sixers did under Sam Sam Hinkie, but they still could be in this position next year because they are so young. If if I am Sam Presti, I'm using this cap space to kind of fill in some some decent vets that can really mentor uh, a player like a Jabari Smith and show him the ropes. Like this is how it's how you spend your money. This is how you conduct yourself. You know, when we go on road trips, this is kind of what life in the NBA is like. I think that aspect of, of rookie life is so under uh, represented and underrated mm-hmm. that it would be, I think, a disservice to their young players to not have vets waiting to, you know, show them the ropes. I think that's probably a reason why you see teams like the Kings fail so often is because they don't really have that that culture in place to say this is how we do things and you see so many of their players kind of you know fall off the tracks so like having those ricky rubio vets would help ed davis you yeah know, those, those type yeah so uh, when when i think of this oklahoma city team i think of a really really fast paced team with giddy and shea and dort like i feel like this would be one of like top five fast teams and I think I think this team would be really fun uh for for the near future and beyond with the the roster construction and the talent that they all have so this would be a very nice a nice uh pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder with the third pick the Orlando Magic dropped down two spots and I think that they would because of Suggs because of Cole Anthony I don't think they would be valuing Ivy as highly as Paulo Banchero. 
So I think Paulo would be that guy. When you look at that Orlando roster, all they have are ones, fours, and fives. So I wish that they were in the range to get a small forward, but Paulo is has the self-creation ability that Orlando could very much use. I mean, because of injuries and injuries, you, they didn't really get to f- uh, field the team that they actually constructed with John Isaac and then uh, Chuma Okiki. The injuries have really negatively affected his lateral quickness. So getting getting Paulo, I think moving Wendell Carter to five and then potentially trying to trade Mo Bamba would be a nice role for him because Carter has been playing some good ball. And then they would have Suggs, Cole Anthony, Franz Wagner, Paulo, Wendell Carter. So that, I mean, that is a young, very talented lineup and they could potentially build off of that because you don't know what you can get from Mo Bamba, but like, there's Mo Bamba's always going to fetch some real value because of the athletic ability. I mean, it might it, it might be time for them to cut that off and see if they can get another high value pick. Um, I mean, the small forward is going to be that weakness for them, but they have they have avenues in which to compete in the near future. So I, I think Paulo is the guy for Orlando. Yeah, I think it's the it, it's the right pick. I don't think he's the best player at this point, but just given the glutton uh, of guards and, and you even forgot to mention RJ Hampton and Markel Fultz. Fultz is a player who has two years left at over 33 million. Oh, and Gary Harris too. That That's a lot. So Gary Harris is expiring and Mo Bamba has a, uh, a restricted offer. So they, they could pay $10 million to have him play next year, sign him to a long-term deal or just, let him go. So that, that does reduce a little bit of, of that, the, the roster weight, but I'm with you. If, if you're Orlando, you really wish there was a star small forward um, in this draft. And, and I think there is something to be said about taking the best player available, but Orlando has tried to do that, but they haven't had any scenarios in play. Like they continued to take, you know, they had Aaron Gordon. Oh, let's draft Jonathan Isaac. Mm-hmm. You know, they had Nikola Vucevic. Oh, let's draft Mo Bamba. They had Cole Anthony. Oh, let's draft Jalen Suggs, even though we had Markel Fultz as well. Like, so they, they don't really think it through. They're like, oh, this player is number one on our board, but th- there's no rhyme or reason to how they're going to execute that, that roster construction and moving those players for other players that can kind of fit. They should have a ton of cap space. Somehow, some way, Terrence Ross is still on that roster for next season. So um, we'll kind of see how that works. But I, I think you take... They're, they're forward, which I think they could use more than another uh, 6-4 guard, and they, they they make it work. I think it's going to be interesting um, with how well Wagner has played. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want to move him to the bench. Can you get Paolo to play some five? I, I don't know. Defense is not really his specialty. Orlando is the, the one, probably the messiest roster, I think, in the entire NBA. It's not the worst. I just think it's the messiest. Um, I would have taken Ben Bancaro as well. Um, but they, they still have a lot of work to do to figure that out. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, that I, I feel like they'll be right back trying to uh, get that 2023 uh, high first round draft pick. So, but I, I think that this gives them a at least a way of like a blueprint of success. They got a guy that can create his own shot. They, I mean, 
their guard rotation set. Now they need to just get some forwards and get healthier. I mean, I, th- I think this is another team that needs to get some Ricky Rubio type vets to mentor their guys. Cause I mean, Markel Fultz is still very young and is playing really well as of last time I checked. So yeah, th- this team just needs some guidance, but they with Paulo, they have a, a nice rotation of players. And I mean, the, the shot creation that he can show, I mean, like Duke is such a bad place for guys to show off that dribble creation. So maybe he has a lot more to show. I mean, having Mark Williams be there at the rim every time he drives, it's got to be tough. And I think he's driven the most out of every player in the NCAA so far. So, All right. With the fourth pick, the Portland Trailblazers are selecting Jaden Ivey. From oh, I Purdue, wanted that for Houston. From Purdue University. This is best player available. There will be no more Bowie Jordans. Odin Durant's Webster Pauls like we're, we're not doing that yes team needs are taken into consideration but Jaden Ivey is number two on my big board I, I think he has a chance to be the, the best player from this draft watching him play there's no one like him in college basketball the speed the athleticism the burst the explosion and he's getting the jumper like he's hitting NBA threes he's making it happen um I, I think he's too good to pass up on. Uh, clearly, this means the Blazers would need to move on from either Dame or, or Anthony, but uh, I like Ivy ceiling higher than Anthony Simons. So if if that's what has to be done, that's what has to be done. And I just think he's clear cut the best player available. When you're picking this high, you you just you can't pick for need. I mean, you see it all the time in, in NFL drafts and in NBA drafts when when teams go for need over the best two, three years down the road, you're looking like, why didn't we just take that best player and, and make it work? And I do think you need to have a plan in place to make it work because you, you clearly can't have Dame, Ant, and Ivy, but Ivy is too special. Like he's he's to that point where it's like, okay, he's so far ahead of everyone else, just at least in my eyes, that I think you have to find a way um, to make it work. And so I, I, would, I would take Jaden Ivy, who I, I think – is the second best player in this draft and starting to get a good feeling about him. Like I did Durant uh, in, in that 07 class as well. And I mean, the beautiful thing about the Blazers having two picks in this scenario is you can get your power forward at 10. So you knocked out one of the things that the Blazers need with Ivy. You might've, you know, counterpunched it too hard and the person's head fell off, but you definitely got your, your, your guard with Jaden Ivy. Um, so in this scenario, if you were the GM, what would you do with the other two guards? I I think you match any offer for Anthony. You cannot let him go for, for free. And clearly you don't know any of this information prior to the trade deadline. So there's no 2020 hindsight. You should have done this. You should have done that. I think at that point, I probably ask Dame, like, this is our guy in, in Jaden. Like, do you want to mentor him? Do you want to be along for the ride? Or do you want us to find you a place like we did for CJ? And I think that's probably the avenue that, that I would go through first because it's so hard to do sign in trades for restricted free agents. Um, and so then I, I, I would I, I would initiate the, the full rebuild 
right? Um, that That's just how I would operate. I, I don't, I, I know there's this uh, rebuild with Dame narrative and there's a lot of, I think, leakage behind that as well, as we saw with the, the Shams uh, Sharnia athletic article, the Blazers are looking to, you know, acquire Jamie Grant and, you know, they're going to start to go all in. And then Chauncey Billups is talking to Chris Haynes, like this is not a rebuild. The Blazers for so long have been so scared of that word rebuild. And it's, it's interesting because they really haven't accomplished anything since 2000. It's been 22 years since they have won a conference final game. It's been 30 years since they played in the NBA finals. I, I, I'm just trying to be as, as honest and open as possible, like really, really judging this team uh, as objectively as possible. I, I don't know if that top 10 player, top 15 player is out there that you're going to add with Dame to, to really compete. And, and maybe you can, I, I personally haven't seen that path. I haven't seen that vision. So, I mean, it's probably something that it may, these decisions may not happen until the trade deadline. Like personally, I would probably wait. I'd probably let Dame start. Uh, you want to build that trade value back up. Teams are going to want to see how he's playing post-surgery. I don't think you move him in the summer because you're going to get pennies on the dollar. Like you you need to get peak value. And I think you get that with, with Dame performing well. And even if it's bringing Ivy off the bench, like he's still only 20, 20 years old. Like he doesn't need to start right away. So um, I think it's a uh, long story short. I think it's a fluid situation. Like first thing you got to match Amperny because you can't let him go for, for free. Um, and then you can kind of wait and see how everything plays out and kind of go from there because at a certain point, Amperny will be trade eligible. Dame hopefully will have his value, you know, boosted. And then you can kind of see how the season is going. Um, they still have the, the exception. They still have the mid-level exception. Um, still probably going to bring use of Nurkic back. So there are a lot of different ways that this could go, but I, I think in my mind, Ivy is so good that as muddy as all of that was, he'll clear it up. Like he is worth all of that work to try and clear it up because I guarantee it like five years from now, we're going to be looking back at this draft and we're going to say, why didn't Jaden Ivy go number one? Why didn't he go number two? How, how in the hell did he slip to four? Kind of like people when, when Luca got picked, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Luca, but everyone's like, oh my God, how did Luca not go number one? So I, I think he's got that that gravita uh, around him. If the rebuild is between Ant and Jaden, who do you trust more being the on-ball guard? Because I think both of them are combo guards. Both of them are combo guards, but I would say I think Anthony is so much better with the ball in his hands than without. I've seen Ivy play re- really well without the ball. Mm. So that's where I would go. I would say, Ant, you're the lead guard. Ivy, you can be our secondary playmaker, which is where I think he really excels. Like I compared him to a smaller Clyde Drexler in that sense during our future Fridays. And that's because while watching Clyde, you don't want to bring the ball every time up the court, but with the ball in his hands, he, he makes magic happen. Like he averaged damn near, you know, he was leading assist man on a lot of those teams, even with Terry Porter there. So he can make plays with the ball, but I don't think he needs to have the ball in his hands at all times. He can bring the ball up the court on the break. He's he's just exhilarating. You know, you hold your breath when he has the ball in the open court. But I think Ant really needs to be uh, the primary ball handler. And he has also shown really good catch and shoot. So I think there could be a, a good uh, trade-off between uh, ball handling duties. If, if you had to ask for percent, I'd probably say like, 
65% Ant, 35% Jaden. The ability to pull off the dribble that Ant showed this year, I mean, to take him off ball would be would be a tough ask when he's shown so much ability as that dribble pull-up shooter. And Ivy has shown a little bit of it, but it, again, it's not the sample size that you need to be that elite uh, guard in this league. I think every elite guard has that pull-up game. Let's try and utilize Ant so in a few years he can be that super elite pull-up guard like Steph or uh, Trey Young. I mean, Russ has to be the only quote-unquote elite guy that doesn't have that ability. Um, So I really wish that Houston got Ivy because I think there's a glaring need. But since he's off the, the board, I'm trying to make it so Jalen Green is the most optimized as a player. So with that thought process, I got to go A.J. Griffin because he it has shown the ability to be that off-ball guy at Duke being uh, Paulo's second-best teammate. So he knows that role. Yeah, so I, I would go that. They have three guards that are pretty switchable, have shown the ability to shoot. Houston, when I've watched them, has had really bad spacing. So I think that AJ would help the spacing of that team, would help have a versatile shooter and scorer on that team. He fits with everybody I can think of on that team that can last. Like right now, they're they're using Eric Gordon and uh, Garrison Matthews as their starting three. So to go from Eric Gordon's old ass to AJ Griffin, I think is a humongous step. I don't think that AJ would be negatively... Uh, would be a negative on Jalen Green's career. I think that they've done a really good job of putting negatives on his uh, career thus far. So having a guy that can just flow off ball, score at a high level, defend, I think A.J. Griffin would be the guy. I was thinking of Johnny Davis for the exact same role, but I wanted to go with A.J. because I believe in the shot the shot and I think Duke is hampering him way more than uh, the Wisconsin uh, Johnny Davis's because the spacing and the dribble creation, I've seen AJ do it a lot more than uh, Johnny. So I'm, I'm going with AJ in the five spot with Houston. Yeah. I think Jalen green with that roster, taking him two overall kind of has to be your alpha moving mm-hmm. forward. And it's a, a strange roster because there's been reports like they may be looking to get rid of Christian Wood. Kevin Porter Jr. was kind of taking on as a, as a reclamation project. But again, I think he has similar tendencies in terms of wanting the ball like Jalen. So you do need a player who's going to have a lot of low usage. So I low think usage, that's a high solid, efficiency. solid pick between AJ or Johnny. And, and you have the, the preference for AJ. So I have no qualms uh, at AJ at five. Nice. I mean, like, th- this is a very long project with the Houston Rockets, but I, th- I think that the thought process has to be for the Houston Rockets to optimize Jalen because he was such a high pick. He has that that God-given athleticism where, you know, he might only have three good plays in the night, but those three good plays 
are just magnificent top shot worthy plays. So I think to have a guy like AJ that can just shoot, play defense and play as a high level guard with high intelligence, like that could be, that could be the backcourt of the future with, if Jalen absolutely crushes his 99th percentile. So I, I trust Steven Silas would be able to utilize AJ Griffin and, um, it w- it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the bigs because I believe in uh, Alperin Sangoon as that, like as a uh, playmaking hub. So running DHOs with Jalen and uh, and uh, AJ spotting up off of that that could be some deadly pick and roll shit. So uh, Steven Silas is going to get a uh, marksman from three and or AJ Griffin. This is a, a tough scenario. Uh, the Detroit Pistons um, dropping down four spots. Clearly, they are not happy in the Motor City, but they did win the lottery last year. So um, that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. So this may be a little bit of a surprise. But again, this isn't going to be a group think mock draft where you look at every mock draft. Are you and... doing what I think you're about to do? I don't know. I don't... <laughs> so with the, the sixth pick, I have the Detroit Pistons selecting Jalen Duran. Oh, wow. I would really was not thinking that. Good shit. From Good shit. the University of Memphis. And I, I was thinking, you know, what shooting guard could work. And there, there's plenty. They could go the upside, upside pick with, with Shaden Sharp from Kentucky. They could take a player to play alongside Cade Cunningham and Benedict Matherin, as well as Johnny, Johnny Davis. But looking at that roster and looking what they're trying to build, they're, they're likely moving off of Jeremy Grant. They really only have Sadiq Bey at the four. I know the team is built around Cade Cunningham. Who better to work alongside than a defensive-minded big who is the youngest player in the draft, can rebound, can uh, really anchor that defense, and in a great defense is the best way for a young guard to initiate offense. Get out on the break and just fly, get those easy buckets. I think Jalen Duran makes a lot of sense for this team, especially given how few impact bigs there are in this draft. Detroit will have another chance in, in the second round to get uh, a guard, maybe a Bryce McGowan's from Nebraska, a Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. Um, whoever falls, they're going to have a really great chance to find another guard. Uh, I think for a team that is probably bottom five in damn near every defensive metric. Jalen Duran makes a lot of sense, especially alongside Sadiq Bey, who stretches out that defense. Um, I, I think they can address the guard position, the shooting guard um, elsewhere. I, I don't think they'll be able to grow with a big like this. So um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Pistons to go upside here. And they're clearly building for the future with, with Cade, and, and Sadiq. So they're another team that can kind of take their time along the way and they'll have a lot of cap space um, as well. I mean, at the moment they are projected to have under $80 million in, in cap, um, not in cap space, under $80 million com- committed to the next season. So they will have plenty of money to throw around. Um, this is kind of the beauty of the draft taking place before free agency. So I, I think they're going to go uh, Jalen. I think he's the best uh, center by far in, in this class. And it gives them, um, I think it goes back a little bit to their, their bad boy roots. Like they, they're a lunch pail blue collar franchise 
And I think he embodies that. He was very impressive um, at the tournament in person, and he has been progressing nicely as the youngest prospect who reclassified into the class of 2022. Uh, he's only getting better, and I think he still could be growing as well. So do you think that there's a problem with Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran since they, they used a first-round pick on Stewart, who I, I think that they would both be the same-sized uh, player? I, I, I'm honestly shocked that you picked Duran because I thought that you were going to go Johnny or Benedict. I really thought that's what you were going to do because just when you look at the Detroit Pistons, they have no shooters for Cade uh, Cunningham driving into the lane and finding an open guy. I feel like Johnny Davis or Benedict would be really perfect as that long-range shooter to open up spacing. But the Duran pick, it, it shows that, I mean, you go your your superstar guard one, and then the next year you take your your franchise center at the next year. It it's shows- kind of like an NFL team drafting their quarterback and then, okay, we got to protect him with this offensive line. It's smart. It's smart. I, I, I was kind of just thinking that it would be a, a guard because of the need, but if we're as uh, confident about Jalen as we've been thus far, that's a really good pick at six for Detroit who misses out on the, 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 the top five. So I think that that's a really nice upside pick for Detroit. Um, honestly, with seven at Sacramento, I just don't know how they don't take uh, Keegan Murray out of Iowa. Because oh, that surprises me. Well, just think about what they did as a uh, as a team. They they pushed in their chips. We're gonna get Sabas, and we're going to utilize Sabas, his strengths, his weaknesses. Well, we all know his strength is passing and offense, and just being a great scorer and passer in that next level. But what he, what his negative is, is he's not a good defensive player. I think Keegan Murray fits that role as a guy that could fully pair with Sabas as a, as a, as a small ball four. we've seen the off ball defense, which is at a super high level. It kind of dropped during the year, but it was still very good. If he can get back to the just, super toolsy defensive player that just outsmarts players with verticality and really good rotation as the foreman. I think he fits the role. He hits at we believe in the shot. I was thinking about Sochan or uh, Eason, but those two don't have the, the, the win now type of thing that Keegan Murray does. I think the Sacramento pushed themselves into a zone where they have to compete. And I think that, Keegan Murray does so at the places that they leave, that they lack the most. So I, I go Keegan at, at, at uh, seven for the Sacramento Kings. Damn, I was hoping he would slip to eight. I think he fits perfectly for what Indiana wants. I know, but I think he fits with Sack too. I know, like the Pistons, like the Kings are a terrible team. I, I was like, well, the, the Kings really need a two guard. So I thought they would go with one of the, the three on the board. But uh, real quick, back to Detroit and Isaiah Stewart. I think Isaiah Stewart, even when that trade went down, we were both kind of like, thank God Detroit took him because we traded Covington. There were a yeah. lot of other players we liked. I think Stewart projects as a backup big, and I think, you know, took him mid 
mid in the first round. So I don't think you need to commit to him being a starter. Um, but moving on to the Kings, uh, I think that is a Kings pick, right? Th- th- they feel the need to win now. And I think Keegan's a win now player. Uh, I don't know what they do with, with Keegan Murray and uh, Domas playing alongside each other. Um, are you going to play offensively so, or defensively? Defensively. I think offensively well, I, I, is fine. Defensively, I think that that team just has so many. I think trading for Sabonis puts that team at such a disadvantage defensively mm-hmm. because I don't know where you play him. I think he gets torched as a five, but he clearly can't keep up with the fours. Um, it just it's it's a night. It was a nightmare trade, and I, it's it's not really working out for them so far. I feel uh, like I would bet on Keegan to be able to defend off ball to make up for the the mistakes that Sabonis does more so than Sojan and and Eason. I mean, oh yeah, I would take Murray over over those those prospects as well. So yeah, I, I mean, the I could go guards, but. I felt like there were more polished shooting guards later in the draft or in, you know, they, they pay big money for somebody in free agency, but those power forwards that can help defensively and not cover, but help to cover up Sabas's mistakes is a, a much more difficult thing to find uh, in the league. And I mean, shit, if he hits, I mean that's that's the four that every team's looking for. Uh, I mean, like he's he's tall. He he can move. He can switch. He's smart. Like it. it I think it's a. I think it's a decent move because of what they did with the Sabas trade. It pushed them into one zone, and they can't think of like development when the one zone is obviously compete. You took my pick for the Pacers. Well, you took my pick for Houston. That's fair. This is going to be, I think, the most difficult selection because what Indiana is looking for is probably that three or four to play alongside Miles Turner, but also alongside, they, you know, they have Brogdon, they have Duarte, and they have the newly acquired Tyrese Halliburton. So, and Buddy. You, you would really hope that there would be a, a just a a knockdown, no brainer forward pick, but but I don't think there is, and I think they need to take the best player available. I think this is where we see Kentucky's Shaden Sharp. Oh, I like it. Get taken off the board, and this is a the man of mystery in the draft. I, I can't tell you really what he does well. I mean, there's just no film on him outside from a couple of tournaments that he played in high school. But we have seen when players were able to go straight to the professional league right out of high school, they were taken based off of that competition. They were taken on upside and athleticism. And, you know, what can you do for me lately? He's a player that has already grown two inches. He's at six, six now, which I think allows him to play not only the two, but the three, and for a franchise like Indiana, I think they're in a similar boat as Portland. They're probably the Portland of the East, to be honest. They've always been on that treadmill. They're finally in rebuild mode. What better player to take than maybe the most upside player in, in this draft? And you're, you're getting a player who I think is going to um, have a really good safety blanket 
in Tyrese Halliburton. He is mm-hmm. probably one of the best young pure point guards in this draft. He, even as a sophomore in the league, is going to know where to get his guys open. He is going to make the transition probably as smooth as possible for a young player. Um, it's a franchise that has a, a an established head coach in Rick Carlisle who has won. Uh, I think the rebuild is probably a little bit foreign to Carlisle, but but it seems like they finally made that decision to halt the brakes on, you know, just making the playoffs and getting out of the first round. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to rebuild and you don't hit in the top four, why not swing for the fences with, with Shaden Sharp here? I like it. I definitely like it. And because of Halliburton, everybody's raising up a few levels offensively because of what he can do as that point guard. And we discussed it, I think, a few weeks ago. He's the best point guard in Pacers history, even as a sophomore in the league. The way that his vision, he can make players open that aren't actually open because of how he can read what is happening in front of him. So I I think that Sharp is a really nice pick because he is that man of mystery we've heard what Calipari has said about him as he looks like a number one pick and for him to not play a single second at Kentucky and become the eighth pick overall salute to Shaden Sharp with the ninth pick you kind of left me with a few selections I think that it's obvious that the New York Knicks are looking for guard play if you've if you've watched the New York Knicks recently, they lack guard play because Kemba's out for the uh, the rest of the year. Um, RJ is their primary ball handler. Well, and then Alec Burks is their point guard. Like they don't have a point guard outside of Miles McBride who doesn't play enough. Well, why did the, I mean? Isn't Emmanuel quickly? I mean, he showed a lot as a rookie. It seems like he's just been buried unnecessarily on the bench. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing with Tibbs though as a coach is. He want, he favors those older guys. Like, I mean, I'm looking for a girl that can treat me as good as Tibbs treats Taj Gibson, bro. Like straight up and down. Like, <laughs> if, if we're being honest, I think of the the picks in the draft, this one has like trade watch uh, in big bold red letters. Like, I I think the Knicks they're definitely in win now mode. I I don't you said I don't think Tibbs wants a rookie. I think they don't want yeah. They would move. I think they would move this pick, but for the sake of this, um, we can't really project trades. Yeah, we can't project a trade. So, but I do think this is high trade watch pick right here. So, part of me would love to have a guy like Benedict or Johnny here, but I think that they take Ty Ty Washington, the real, the the only pure point guard in this draft that's worthy of a lotto pick. I think they take Ty Ty Washington and he's kind of like the uh, secondary ball handler to RJ and RJ's thing. RJ goes to the paint a lot. He kicks it out. I trust that Ty Ty can at least shoot decently. He's shown the ability to do a lot of pull-up craft in the mid-range so this might be a long-range pick to make Ty Ty fully optimized with R.J. Barrett, but I think that they have to go guard here, and Ty Ty is the number one point guard on the board so far. I think of I, – I was thinking this. If I got the Knicks, I don't I don't think I would have taken Ty Ty. I understand your, your logic, and I could see it happening. I was thinking it was either Benedict Matherin or Ty Ty Washington. Yeah. 
I think of all of the prospects currently projected in Lotto, I think he's the one that has the uh, most likely chance to fall. Um, when you look at his inability to shoot the ball, he is old for a freshman. I mean, th- these things start getting nitpicked, and that's why you start seeing guys rise and why you start seeing guys fall. Um, I, I see the logic. I could see the Knicks making that pick. If I was a Knicks fan, I, I would be a little bit upset because I think you have a better point guard already on your roster in Emmanuel Quickly. I think that those two are very similar. They very. are. But I, I think mean, that Ty Ty is a much better defender than Quickly right now. So you know what Tibbs what, – what, gets Tibbs off is defense. I think Ty Ty will put in a good effort, you know, play 26 minutes quickly, the other 22, and that's their point guard play, unless, you know, they they scoop some superstar we're not really thinking of. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was really between Benedict and uh, and uh, Ty Ty, but I, I think that they would lean Ty Ty. All right, so the Blazers have already taken Jaden Ivey in this. This really works out for you if you wanted to go double guard. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I'm torn. Like, do I go complete chaos and take another guard, which basically says, you know, bye, Anthony, and bye, Dame? Um, Or do I look to take, you know, a really good forward? So I'll, I'll give two options, but ultimately what pick I would send in I think the two options, what I'm thinking right here, are Baylor's Jeremy Sohan and Arizona's Benedict Matherin. Now, Matherin is 6'7", so I think you could get away with him playing the three. The three. I think Sohan has probably maybe one of the biggest upsides defensively. I think he's one of the most versatile defenders. Um, I do think 10 is a bit high to take him, so if I have my GM hat on right now, I would like for Cronin to to maybe move down a spot or two um, with the intent on taking him. I would be absolutely thrilled if the draft played out this way, where you get the best guard in, in the in the draft in, in Ivy, and then you have a chance to add another shooter, uh, secondary playmaker, uh, a player who is absolutely killing it right now. And I, I think if we're doing this mock draft in in April or in May, I, I think Matherin is getting taken higher. I think his his stock is on the rise. So I don't even know if he would be available. Um I I'll, I'll go Benedict Matherin um at 10. Again, I'm I'm sticking with my best player available um philosophy and the Blazers are going to have to figure out a way to to make that work. Um again I know taking Ivy and Matherin really reconstructs the roster to a whole other level that maybe some some fans would be uncomfortable with. But when you get a chance to make uh, a splash like this, you, you got to go, got to go all in. Now, if the, if there was a Jabari Smith type of four that we could have taken first, I would have done that. Like, I think to get that, that Roy Aldridge combo this year would have been fantastic. But, but I do think that Ivy and Matherin would be uh, a great foundational uh, building blocks for for the future and you still have a lot of chips um left over and the beautiful thing is i think nasir little would, would fit in really well with, with that core um mm-hmm. moving forward i mean i i think the two options for portland at that time would have been benedict benedict mather and eason for me so i th- i think that benedict would fit in really well 
with his ability to be that long range shooter. I think that you've done a very good job thus far in this mock of getting guys that actually can shoot in NBA range. You've seen Ivy do so. You've seen Benedict Matherin do so. Like, if you've watched this team this year, the spacing's atrocious. So adding two guys that absolutely can get their shot off is huge. And just, like, if we kept Dame, having Ivy spotting up and Matherin spotting up at the three would be some beautiful basketball off a uh, a pick and roll with Nurkic. So I I think what you would have to do in the... uh, is potentially find that a, a decent power forward to uh to you know in the second round or if you know if we somehow make another trade finding that power forward that's cheap that can do things uh for us because I think that's the one glaring weakness thus far for the Portland Trailblazers but I love the way that you've created spacing for whatever guard is leading us and and Ivy is just like that 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 guy that could be that secondary guy that's just MVP type guy. I mean, having Dame as a mentor for Jaden is top tier if he stays. So with this one, I think I have to project that Bradley Beal stays. And when I said uh, the beauty of the draft happening before a free agency, not for the Wizards. The Wizards would love to know whether they have Bradley Beal in, yes. in line before they make this pick because there are some shooting guards that they could use. Well, I'm thinking that I put Brad. If I'm the coach of the Washington Wizards, I put Bradley Beal at point guard. Screw this fucking shooting guard bullshit that yeah. he's been pigeonholed into. He is their damn point guard already. So I go Johnny Davis to be that spot up guy for I like it. Bradley Beal. They they don't need a power forward like Sohan or Eason with Rui, Denny, 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 and then they have centers that like. So I'm going. I'm trying to optimize Bradley Beal as the point guard the most. I want a guy that can be the off ball superstar, and Johnny Davis is my guy. So at eleven, we take Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. He gets paired with a f- superstar potentially in Bradley Beal. And they can create something really nice. Like Johnny's not going to compete much with Bradley Beal's touches. So I I think that those two can really work together. They have the guys at the three and the four that can do the dirty work to let Chris Stops be Chris Stops. So Johnny Davis is my guy. The spacing on that, 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 that unit is wonderful with, with Beal, Davis, Corey Kispert, last year's first round pick from from Gonzaga and Porzingis. Um, if they get anything, and Rui's shooting forty from three. Yeah, if they can get anything from Rui and Danny, like that's that's some really good spacing. Um, it puts them in a much better position than they've been probably since the the Antoine Jameson days. Yeah, I mean, when I was looking at the draft, I was confused and thought. I was going to take the Memphis pick and that's a that 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 that's a way more difficult spot than oh Johnny Davis and uh Bradley Beal could be a very good combo together. So uh with the Lakers pick that gets traded to Memphis, who do the Memphis Grizzlies take at 12? This is um you know how we talked about the New York Knicks being on trade watch, this would be 1B behind that. Um And I think this is all going to be predicated on how Memphis performs in the postseason. They're likely going to have the two or the three seed in the West. 
and there are going to be a lot of expectations for such a young squad. They have done such a masterful job of constructing a balanced roster with really solid um, salaries. You know, only Jaron Jackson Jr.'s salary is going to be increasing next season, but they still have Brandon Clark. They still have Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain. Um, they took Zaire Williams uh, last year, who was performing, uh, I think, better than, than most expected. Um, Dylan Brooks kicks in a little bit too, but he's, you know, kind of that that chip on the shoulder type of player they need. Clearly, they still have jaw on a rookie contract. Like, they have really everything you want in a, a young roster. So it's kind of like dealer's choice. Like, who who do you want to take? I, it's, it's so hard because I don't know if that player exists. And I think they would rather trade it for um, a, a three that can play right away. Like if, if they could theoretically trade this pick for a Harrison Barnes, I think they do it in a, in a nanosecond. Um, the one weakness I see from them is at center. Uh, Steven Adams is a good vet, but I don't know if they're going to want to uh, extend him past the 2023 season. Like he's due another $18 million and they really haven't been committal to Tillman or Brandon Clark at that five. So if I am Memphis, they, they, they could use additional defense, uh, that, that grit and grind mentality. Um, I think they go Tari Eason here. Um, I I think he, um, that's exactly what I would have done by the way. I I think he's a player who, uh, exudes grit and grind. Mm -hmm. I think he can, I, I don't know if Tari ever projects as a, a starter in the league, maybe a fifth, but I think you can come in off the bench and become all, all an all defensive type of player. And I think that's, I think he could play the four alongside either Jaron Jackson, um, especially alongside Jaron Jackson, who can spread the floor and allow Tari to work on his shot. But I just think that if you're looking for persona meeting mm-hmm. team and team, Eason and the Grizzlies, I mean, that, that just, that works. That that's exactly what I was going to yeah. do. Um, that like that fucks me up because I was taking him at uh with thirteen at Atlanta. Um, well, I think that I mean the Hawks desperately need somebody to come in and play a lick of defense. I know. So that are we missing somebody super duper obvious? Because I'm taking Jeremy. That's who I would have taken. Yeah. Okay. Well. who I was either going to take Jeremy or Tari, one of the two, at uh, at thirteen. So I think that Jeremy Shojan matching with DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella can create a decent front line defensively to make up for the Trey Young uh, bad defenses at most times. So I, I think that Sochan would be a really good fit. That he's got to work on the shot, especially with uh, Trey Young finding him in open spaces, but I think that that would probably be the best um, match for who's, who's left on the board for the, uh, the Atlanta Hawks at 13. Um, I really was thinking Tari Eason was going to be there at 13, but you'd uh, you swiped him from me, which good for you. Yeah. yeah, I think think so. Chan could definitely help like the effort that he showed on that Baylor comeback you know, that's remarkable, and you remember what he can do defensively. I, I think that Trey's going to just have to work with him on that shot, but I think that that's a really good fit. 
Um, he and, I think if anybody Hunter can open looks, it's going to be Trey. Like he'll be able to shoot standstill threes when you have Bogdanovich, Trey Young, you know DeAndre Hunter. Like teams aren't going to want to leave those players open, especially with the playmaking of of Trey. Um, it, it may get dicey playing both Capella and Sohan at, at the same time, but. Um, he's well, the best, are we, he was the best player on the board to me, and it, it also addresses uh, a massive need. And, and there still is uh, uncertainties around, you know, what are they going to do with John Collins? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, I think for the first year they <clears throat> they play Hunter twenty eight, they play Sochan twenty two, and that's forty eight minutes of small forward for them or whatever whatever position. Hunter and, and Sochan play. I think that's the 48 minutes. Like Danilo uh, doesn't really have that that role anymore. And I think I think it's time for the the Atlanta bench to get younger. They have a lot of old folks on that bench with Gallo and Lou Williams. So maybe it's time for those that bench unit to step up for the Atlanta Hawks. So um, yeah, I go Sochan. So close out this lottery at 14. Who do the Charlotte Hornets get? They really could use size, and there's a lot of uncertainties with Miles Bridges, who is a restricted free agent. This is a, a franchise that already has about 110 million dollars committed to salary next year, and that's without Bridges' um, extension. They're likely losing Montrez Harrell. They have only one more year left of of Mason Plumley, and I, I really just don't see that that three or four that could come in and, and is just like without reaching. Like, I think there are two players I'm thinking about. Um, one is, and this is not the pick, but this is, I, I could see them take Kansas's um, Ochai Abaji, but they did spend a first round pick last year on James book night mm-hmm. and they still have Kelly Oubre. So this is where like and I Terry think, Rozier and uh, Gordon. Hayward. So this is a lot where, of money. It's a lot of money. This is where it's like best player available versus fit. And I think we're in the same tier of, of prospect. Charlotte's been looking for a center for ages. I, I feel like Walker Kessler from Isn't Auburn from University. Charlotte too, or North Carolina? He did play one season at North Carolina. He's from Georgia, but he has bloodlines. Uh, his uncle, uh, his late uncle was, uh, I believe, the ninth overall pick of the Atlanta Hawks. His dad played at, at Auburn or Georgia, excuse me. Um Kessler feels like a, a, a Michael Jordan pick. Um, he's, he's one of the, he's the premier shot blocker aside from, from Chet Holmgren. He's the premier shot blocker though, in, in college basketball, his numbers are through the roof. And if, if we're talking about uh, Jabari Smith getting good guard play at Oklahoma city, Walker Kessler playing alongside LaMelo ball. I mean, he is really going to become that lob threat for them. I trust the shot. I think it'll take a year or two, but I think he's going to be able to extend his range. So you're going to get some pick and pops with him. I I love the fit. I think he fills in a a need, but he's also a high upside player. Just the progression he's shown from his freshman year at North Carolina to a sophomore year at Auburn. uh, I think he's going to uh, be that rim protector that that they need. Um, They play such a fast pace that they give up so many points that mm-hmm. there's not really one player I would say in that starting lineup that puts their onus on defense. They're all looking to get their offense. And I yeah, think I mean, playing at, at a, that fast pace, man, yeah, gonna... at a certain point they need an anchor. And I, I think that he can, you know, 
ride the bench, play backup role to Mason Plumley for year one, but year two, I think he's going to be ready. And um, if that shot hits that, I think that's a solid value for uh, a Charlotte team. So <clears throat> does Mason play like 28 and then he'll be the full-time backup center? That, that, that would be my plan. Yeah. yeah. And there's no way in hell that you put them both on the floor together. God, no. Yeah. That that brings back basketball from 2022 to 1842. I like that. That just is that just is bad. I, I, I trust their coaching staff to to put him in the right position and having the mellow ball be your point guard for the the first four years of your career is hugely beneficial to Walker Kessler and what he can do as a uh, as a center prospect. But I, I definitely like the fit. Like at 14, it's tough. Like, do you go the G League guys that we haven't really paid attention to? Have you? Would you go Walker Kessler? Would you go Obaji? That I mean, once once Sochan and Easton go off the board, this 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 draft looks kind of bleak because I think I think we hit every player that is in that like the realm of what will happen in the lottery. So. Charlotte being 14 is tough. All right. That was really fun. And we will do another one of those in April, but um, it was awesome how it played out. It wasn't just, you know, Blazers get one, they can get their four and then they can get a guard. So it was interesting to see what they would do if they landed four. Um, again, if you are enjoying this, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Let's us know where, we're doing something good over here and you know, we're the, the feedback is always appreciated, but thank you for um, your, your listenership and your support. Um, Sage, why don't you let our listeners know where they can hear us and uh, take us on home. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three Pacific, four to five Eastern. And we are out of here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Rate and review us on iTunes, five stars, Anything less makes us seem like we're bad Um, and sub to us. We really do love uh, interacting with Rip City fans and we're out. Peace.